1: My father was driving a truck and at around 3 a.m. in California, he was on a dirt road in between corn fields, going faster than he should have been probably. When all of a sudden, some woman appeared on the side of the lane and stood there. It was so last second that he couldn't react. And the, right, side mirror ended up hitting her in the head. He stopped, couldn't find her. Called the police and made a report. They never found her. I was hiking with my dad in late September 2018 on the west coast of Vancouver Island, which is usually when bears are fattening up for hibernation and most likely to be aggressive. Since we were a couple days walk from either trailhead and medical attention, we were on high alert. It had rained constantly and we had only seen a single other hiker the whole time. He was traveling in the opposite direction as we were, he was heading north we were southbound. And we had camped beside him two nights prior. So for the whole trip, the only tracks that we saw that looked remotely fresh were a single set of hiking boots coming left by a pleasant and solitary German tourist and we only saw them in places with extensive overhead cover. All other tracks were washed out and filled with rain water due to the days and days of constant rain that was doing the best it could to f up our vacation and make our packs even heavier. We were approaching a blackberry patch between ridges that hugged a small creek and smelled what we thought was a particularly stinky bear. Since the blackberries were on both sides of the trail with only about 3 meters between them, we had our heads on a swivel. There were no overhanging trees as this particular berry patch was dozens of meters across and 2 or more meters high. My dad told me to hurry through as quick as we could and made a comment about how smart it was that we were wearing bear bells and how dangerous it is to startle a feeding bear. He was a couple meters ahead of me when I looked down and saw a footprint. It looked like a bear human footprint, except that it was 2 inches wider and at least 2 inches longer than mine, and I have size 14 feet. It also had dermal ridges and only had a couple raindrops in it so whatever made it had stepped there literally moments before. The scariest thing about it was that there were no other prints, so whatever had made that track had stepped out of the eastern side of the berry patch across the trail, three meters, and into the western patch in a single step. I was so startled. I looked around as much as I could before my dad told me to, hurry up. That was the only track there that wasn't now a small puddle, So before you discount it as a double-stepping bear paw print, where a bear's back paw steps into the print of its front paw, there is no way a black bear could have crossed that 3 meter distance without leaving more prints. Say what you want about bears, they are not at all graceful. There are also no grizzlies on the island, and a cougar wouldn't have left a print that looked anything like that, even if it stepped in its own track. It also couldn't have been a hoax because a person couldn't just stand in the berry patch with a pole with a footprint on it as they would be interacting with bears on a dangerously consistent basis. Also, why would someone sit in a berry patch in the relentless west coast rain in the hopes of pranking people who might not pass by for days? It doesn't really make sense to go to that much effort, risk that much danger, and basically swim in a lacerating blackberry bush for multiple days. I didn't believe in Sasquatch before that, but now I don't know what to believe. I was a service plumber for years and that smell is still in my top 5 worst smells of all time. And I will never forget the image of the raindrops hitting that fresh track, as I stared in disbelief. I am a truck driver, and I often drive by night to my hometown on weekends. It's about 200 american miles it was dark and foggy with limited field of sight some kind of animal ran across the road with big leaps usually you are able to see what kind of animal it is even if they're fast but this time i could not figure out what it was it was pretty fast ran like a dog but looked like a skinny bear definitely not a wolf this is in sweden i remember it giving me a quick glance running over which looked creepy because of its eyes reflecting my car's light. Still don't know for sure what it was. The Bigfoot I saw in Temecula, California, in June 1985 was at night as I stopped on a dirt road. I couldn't drive any farther that night, and when I got out to do my business, I heard and saw it as I was finishing up. It did have an odor of something dead, like the decomposing body of a coyote. Anyway, it stood about 50 yards into a dry riverbed with trees about 45 feet of average height. I shined my flashlight in the direction of the smell and saw movement. But what may be different than most sightings is its eyes actually glowed bright blue and were about 11 feet tall judging by the tree height. Its eyes were just above a limb that I measured at 11 feet the next day. I had a 357 with me, but I had a feeling that it would not stop this creature if I were to shoot it in case it came for me. I left in a big hurry, and that Toyota truck just did not seem fast enough. That was the second time I had seen one. The first was back in March 1952 in the Sage area between Hemet, California, and Temecula, California. I went back the next day and measured the tree limb to his footprints, which were about 20 inches long and maybe 9 inches wide. This was a huge creature. I had a 357 I carried at all times with my own hot loads, a cold python with which I was very accurate. But it was so big I felt it would not stop it if he or she came for me. Do or don't take my word. I know that, 11 feet, is big, but that is what I believe it to be by the footprints and the tree limb. One difference from other sightings, except for the dead and foul smell, is this one difference. Its eyes glowed a bright blue when a light was flashed in its eyes. And me being 70 yards away, which is fairly close, it is out there somewhere most likely. This area is close to the Pima Indian Reservation, which goes on down towards Mount Palomar Observatory, a whole lot of forestry-type land. I was part of alternative spring break trip at my university and was in a van and it happened a few years ago. We went from Michigan to Utah and we had a day off and we all decided to hop on our two vans and go to Arizona for the Grand Canyon. Well it was starting to get dark and it was such a beautiful experience to see. But then on the corner of my eye as I'm driving I notice in one of those remote desert houses that two men were throwing what looked like a human sized bags into a ditch. To this day I keep thinking they were bodies being thrown into a ditch and buried or maybe stashing some drugs in the desert. They were too preoccupied to notice the vans and were a good distance from us to possibly notice but I can't shake the feeling of dread 1 what would have happened if they saw us or even imagine what could have been in those bags. I'm a retired 24-year veteran from the Canadian Forces and a scientist so naturally I don't speak often to people of this experience that happened to me in May of 2018. Just to be clear I was stone cold sober and I did not partake in drugs. It was on a Tuesday evening in Manitoba in a town of 2,600 people about 30 minutes south of Winnipeg. I noticed what I took to be a man sitting on my back deck looking away from the kitchen window checking my backyard. When I approached the window I began to shout at him asking what he was doing there. I immediately got a strange feeling that this person had no clue or desire to understand what I was saying. That was when I got a very good look at him. I noticed he was huge and covered in black fur approximately an inch long from head to toe and massive. I shrunk back from the window and grabbed a big knife from my knife block. I crawled upstairs to retrieve my bat and revolver, returned to the couch, and put the coppers over my head. I didn't want to be cornered upstairs in the bedroom. My wife had been on the phone when I saw it and told her about it the next day. I sat in the same spot after he silently left and knowing my height was six feet I stacked books up onto the point where my head had been the previous night and estimated his height to be eight half feet tall. Of course, I couldn't sleep that night. The following evening at 3 am was sitting in the same spot and another visitor showed up. This time a young female. Now this might sound odd to say but she was about seven half feet tall in height, young, and the body of a gymnast with a very attractive human face. I stood up and looked her in the face she immediately turned after a look of shock and bolted straight off the back deck in one giant leap and seemed to make a 90 degrees turn in midair and took off like a shot. The only thing I've ever seen move that fast was a black bear in Saskatchewan. The following day, in the afternoon, I saw standing on my driveway, A massive white-haired one with black roots was staring across my back lawn with a very annoyed look on his face. He stood at the height of the eaves on my back garage which would make him well over 10 feet tall. Again, I sat down and watched him stride across the width of the backyard and disappear. He moved like a ghost with no bounce to his stride. Very creepy. I sat for weeks afterward thinking, my lord I hope this isn't a habit for them. One begins to question their sanity in these moments but I knew what I saw and no one can convince me of otherwise. I live a five minute walk from the Seine River. I believe what I saw was a family passing through and that they use water to navigate. After weeks of shaking my head, I decided to visit the trails to the river and notice someone had spray painted monkey trails on the sign to the entrance and then discovered clear signs of their passing through. There was a structure sort of like a hunting blind, but the trees had not been cut but had been twisted and torn from the ground and were still green. Another had been carefully placed across the trail in a leaning fashion, wedged between two branches at a height no human could have reached. The strange thing about all three encounters was that I had no sense of malice and in fact, I had the feeling of being privileged. I have experienced their scent and presence. There have been no face-to-face encounters since so that's my story. Not my story, but my stepdad's story. He was going all around the US as a long-haul trucker, and he stopped by an abandoned town in Arizona. His friend said he'd give him like $10 or $20 to go inside it. When he did, his friend went with him. He asked his friend to take a picture of him in the town and they took a lot of them, but one of them had this weird creepy face on a window on the second floor of a building he was in front of. My stepdad and his friend were super creeped out and deleted it so they would never have to see that demonic ass thing ever again. He showed me various pictures of his trip through the town, and he told me about that story while we were looking at the pictures. Sent shivers down my spine man. I used to drive a lot late at night to see my girlfriend, usually stayed as late as 3 am then drove back the 3 to 5 miles home. I'd often be extremely tired, staying up late and getting up early plus stress from uni meant I was exhausted driving home. At some point I started seeing people standing by the road in black outfits watching me, only from the corner of my eye. I could see them standing around looking at me, sometimes trying to get onto the road, Sometimes I'd see a black dog on the road. The people freaked me out the most because they were more demonic in appearance but they looked so real, like they had physical weight to them and a presence. It escalated to the point where I was afraid to see them, so I stopped staying late. Only realized what was happening when I googled black dog or seeing black shapes when tired and driving. Apparently it's a form of dementia. I was hitchhiking one day on this old worn-out highway in the middle of nowhere and a trucker picked me up. She was a portly old lady in her 60s. I tried to make small talk but she just stared out the window until she suddenly began to speak. On this very night, she said, 10 years ago, along this same stretch of road in a dense fog just like this I saw the worst accident I ever seen. There was this sound like a garbage truck dropped off the Empire State Building. And when they finally pulled the driver's body from the twisting, burning wreck. It looked like this. Then she turned to face me and her skin started to melt off and her eyes bulged out while a haunting giggle filled the cabin. Her face returned to normal and she continues, yes sir. That was the worst accident I ever seen. Nervously I told her that I could get off at the diner we were approaching. As she pulled over and told me, be sure to tell them Large Marge sent ya. Before cackling as she pulled away, it was the damnest thing I've ever seen. My grandfather used to haul grain in Ohio. One day he was driving down the road when a random pickup truck he had never seen before pulls alongside the cab. The driver then pulls out a pistol and takes two shots right at my grandpa's window. Both missed him, thankfully, but the window still shattered. The truck then just takes off at like 90 miles per hour. I know he called the police and I'm pretty sure they caught the guy but I'm honestly not sure of the details after the actual attack. All I know is it definitely was not somebody my grandpa knew, just some random guy felt like murdering that day I guess. out hunting the outskirts of a remote campground on Happy Camp Mountain in the Six Rivers National Forest. My buddy and I found some old fabric that was under an old growth dead fall that was well rotted and the forest floor had started to consume it. There was lots of vegetation. It seemed to have been untouched for some time. We started to try to pull it out and were unsuccessful. Once realizing it was a tent we started to dig it out. We then realized it had something dense inside it. The fabric had started to fall apart. We were able finally remove the bulk of it. We were concerned we had found a body due to the weight as it was all wet. Once ripping it open we had a predator mask staring back at us and a ton of old wadded up clothes. Still one of the weirdest things I have ever seen. And that's saying a lot as I've seen Bigfoot. When I was living way up in the Appalachian Mountains, I'm in the foothills now, my house sat back in a holler on top of a hill. I was surrounded by woods in every direction and while I could hear the people's dogs that lived toward the bottom of the holler, and had one neighbor to the east, it was very secluded. If I walked off my porch I'd be in the woods within 8 or 9 steps. I like to walk with my dog in the woods and just enjoy the beauty, solitude and stillness of the place. One day my dog and I were walking through the woods and came upon the severed neck or head of a doe, like someone had slit its throat and just kept going until it was decapitated. There was no blood trail, it was fresh. The poor thing's eyes were open and there were no flies or bugs to be found, no smell and the kitchen knife was sticking out of its neck in at a weird angle. A crude, dull, shitty old plastic handled kitchen knife. People do not hunt in those woods. They're private property and even if they did, you don't kill does. Certainly not at that time of year when they're fawning. That and the fact that I never, ever heard gunshots, I would've had to given how fresh a kill this was. My dog became very alert, not straying from my side and a feeling of unease washed over me. This was no more than 150 feet from my front porch. I went back there the next day and the head, neck or knife were gone no trace of any of it. I don't know if I'm conveying how unnerving it was but I can see that scene like it was yesterday now, 10 years later. I actually always felt uncomfortable being there alone, especially at night. It just felt like I was being watched. Once in a rural very woodsy part of Wisconsin, My husband and I were walking a fence line to check out a piece of property we were considering buying. The woods were really dense and my husband had to help me through a lot of it as it was so thick. All of a sudden we came upon a circle which had been cleared out. The grass, the twigs, the bushy undergrowth was gone and it was just smooth circle. It looked kept up, there was nothing growing there. In the center of the circle was a small pyramid of black painted rocks, Maybe this was an altar? The rocks were like I said painted black. And in between the rocks was woven with what looked to me to be a long braid of someone's hair. I didn't touch it. It looked like a long braid and it went in and out of the rock formation. That's all there was. We didn't touch we just walked away. I was in remote wilderness location in Nova Scotia a vast, 250,000 hectares, wilderness of dense virgin forest with zero roads or trails. The whole area is untouched, and the only way of traveling is by kayak up rivers. We did some stargazing with the site lead guide and she knew her stuff. Been there for years and deeply knowledgeable about area and nature. We swapped stories of odd stuff, I talked about my experience of a giant floating orb in Kenya that freaked out an entire lodge incorporated guides that I've posted about before. She told us how last year they were on a kayaking exped in the wilderness when for three nights in a row the far night sky lit up with a white light. It didn't gain height or move and didn't match any known space launch trajectories or weather phenomenon. The nearest town was nearly 50 miles away and there were no roads or anything similar where it was coming from. They've not seen anything similar before or since, but they were clearly spooked by a totally unexplainable event. Not a truck driver, but I was driving one of those Isuzu box trucks from LA to Ridgecrest. I was driving through the winding roads of Red Rock Park or something. It was pitch black out and I had to take a leak so I pulled over. There were no cars around at all and it was crazy quiet. So I am taking a piss and I hear the most blood curdling scream and low growl I've ever heard. I pushed the rest of the pee out and hopped back in my truck and got out as fast as that shitty diesel could go. I've looked up the sounds a mountain lion makes and it wasn't that. To this day I don't know what it is and when I told somebody at China Lake about it he just told me I am lucky I wasn't murdered by some serial killer. It was one of those days with long working hours, working overtime to keep a client satisfied by finishing the product in time for installation means leaving late in the dark from an industrial complex and walk 300 meters to catch the bus in time to the train station. At first I didn't notice them, this group of runners. They seem like an ordinary bunch of regular runners. But then I noticed something. The pace it was like they run synchronized like military. Or something it was to damn perfect. I didn't give it much until the next night. Leaving late and I saw them coming running and approaching on the opposite of the street bicycle lane. So we like 20 meters apart. Street lights were a bit dim and nightfall already sunk in. As I watched the group all faced forward I turned my head to have a look see. They run precision wise like machines and then each one of them turned their head facing me just like that. And back running forward I didn't know what happened but the way they did it freaked me into walking faster ahead where there was more light. My heart pounded that wasn't normal I was thinking fricking twilight stuff half of the road I started running myself. There wasn't a next day for me anymore working overtime. Last summer I went out to a youth group conference on bus that took about 8 hours. While traveling there, I saw a van on the side of the road, most probably there because of a flat tire. There was a family outside of the van, which I presume they were trying to call a towing service. Three days later, and I'm traveling back from the conference in the middle of the night. I see the exact same van on the side of the road. It was different, however. Even though it had only been three days, it looked rusty and beat up. And all the windows, including the windshield and sunroof was smashed in. Blythe Island Regional Park and Campground near Brunswick, Georgia in 2018 or 2019. My then boyfriend, husband now, and I were primitive camping in the late spring. We had brought our mountain bikes with us and decided to hit some of the trails in the park. I was new to it and overweight at the time. I was poking along and going slower than my partner. I took lots of breaks between gasping for breath and trying not to fall. Well during one of those breaks, I noticed a long khaki-colored trench coat sleeve in the pinky side of an adult man's fist, right arm, clearly visible from one side of a tree he's standing behind. He was in the woods off to my right about 15 feet off the trail. He was comically out of place in the muggy woods, in the southeast. On morning, quickly warming up to the mid 80s. Think about wearing a trench coat with the bugs, heat, humidity, and swampy forest in the deep south. As I looked at the trench coated arm or man fist, I realized that he was unmoving and quiet. A creep, lovely. He was hiding from the folks traversing the trails. Alarm bells slowly went off as I realized he could hear my out of shape s struggling to catch my breath and chug water for a couple minutes there in a shitty hiding spot. Real quick on the uptake there I know. In my defense, cardio sucks. So I stood there for a beat, having caught my breath, and stared at the arm. I swear I felt the moment he realized that I'd seen him. I got chills all over my body and it, finally, occurred to me to move my ass. I ungraciously hop on the bike and catch up to my Leo man in an impressive show of plum-scared adrenaline. I told him about the man. Aside from looking dazed at my lack of survival instinct, opposites attract, he instantly decided that we just needed to move further down the trail. So we did. We eventually got to this little dock that is on the Atlantic side of the the park which services a tower and navigation beacon for the ships moving through that area. Sticking out from under the service dock was large off-white storage tote, something that would go on a boat. The material it was made of was similar to an ice chest but it was not as deep as an ice chest would be. I was curious about the tote. My guy was more inclined to leave it alone but irrational minds prevailed and we opened it up. Inside was a single retro incest porn magazine. We had come across a forest prawn stash and presumably a forest jacker in a trench coat failing to hide in the woods. My partner did let the park's office know about the creep and the prawn we had come across several kids on those trails who didn't need to find that stuff. When I was a kid, our property bordered a nature preserve that was a few hundred acres of thick woods. My siblings and I would spend all day hiking around and would find some pretty cool things. We found arrowheads, dilapidated buildings that were barely standing, and lots of run-ins with wildlife. The creepiest thing we came across though was a duffel bag buried under some leaves and sticks. It smelled horrible but that didn't stop us from being convinced there was treasure inside. There was no treasure, just a mess of bloody organs and whatever else we were too scared to investigate. We ran home to tell our parents that we had found a dead body in the woods and my dad and a neighbor had us lead them out to where it was. They sent us home while they checked it out and when they got back told us it was not a person but that we weren't allowed to hike out there alone anymore. We spent many years after that convinced we had found a dead body and our parents just didn't want us to know. As adults my dad finally admitted that it was a bunch of deer entrails that someone had discarded after field dressing. But since it was a nature preserve whoever was out there was poaching and that was why they didn't want us out there alone. Not my story but my sister's. She went on a night hike with several friends and her really big dog in western Colorado a couple of years ago. On the hike back down, they started to get hit by rocks and berries being thrown from the bushes, and he dog was really spooked by something. They ran back to the cars at the trailhead, and while she loaded the dog in the back seat, she saw a tall, pale human-like form running across the parking lot. Running faster than a normal person could. She said it was extremely white and unclothed. And this is why we do not go on night hikes in the woods, y'all. you I was with my cousin in the woods near our homes in West Virginia, back in the 90s, and we came across this old cemetery on a ridge. We explored it for a bit then moved on. A little further down the ridge we came to a point where we could see my parents' house, which sat down in a valley, and about halfway up the hillside on the opposite side of my parents' house we saw another, definitely abandoned house within the trees. Neither of us had seen that house before but assumed it must have just been because we never really spent much time on that hillside. We went on about our day and ended up forgetting about it, until around 10 years later when my parents were talking about an old house that had set on that hillside, which had burned down in the 80s, before I was born. That sparked the memory for me, and I called my cousin to confirm. He remembered seeing the house, so I went back to my parents and told them. I explained the look of the house. Style, position of the windows, the front porch, etc. And they said it matched the house they were talking about. It's possible my cousin and I both had a false memory of this, as memories are weird, but I always found it curious that we potentially saw a house that had burned down years before either of us were born. went to high school in Waco. As a senior most of my friends were already out of school. We drove to Temple to an old two-story house in the middle of nowhere. It had a bar or dance floor on the bottom and a pool hall upstairs. We listened to the music for a while but the smoke got too thick for me and I asked my friends to step outside to air out. We went and sat on the curb next to the parking lot. As soon as I sat down it felt like someone had opened a freezer door behind me and I felt a rush of very cold air. It was the middle of a Texas summer. I jumped up and asked where are we? I turned to look. It was a graveyard. We left right away but had to travel rural country roads to go home. There were weird bands of clouds floating above the road for most of the way. They would hit the car about windshield level split then go around the car. Two friends and myself went hiking in the desert hills of New Mexico. As we climbed up the canyon we came into an area that seemed like a natural theater room. Along the rock walls were all kinds of inscriptions that looked like astrological symbols. I don't know. It had many spots that were melted wax. There was an altar too that had melted wax like candles were left to completely burn. Further up along the cliff side, I found binoculars with a built-in camera. They were pretty weathered. There was a pair of broken sunglasses next to them. As we go across the canyon and into a cave, there were more odd symbols in it and with vials of liquid that looked like water. Inside the cave floor were clothing. Looked like men's clothes. We dug with branches and kept pulling up clothes until we gave up. We hiked back down to the base of the canyon and there were many large, black trash bags and for sure we thought they were bodies but every one of them was full of clothing. Men's, women's, children's clothes. We also found women's underwear thrown into brush and cacti. If that was not weird enough, when we continued walking along the canyon floor, I spotted a pack of cigarettes resting on a ledge and those were pretty new and only one cigarette was removed from the pack. It was if someone just took off running and left the cigarettes behind. It was a bizarre afternoon for sure. We don't know if it was a cult or homeless people there or a cult possibly sacrificing homeless people there. Who knows? I know that we saw no blood for sure. While hiking a specific mountain trail with my husband and dog, we were climbing some switchbacks up to the wall of the mountain. The last switchback ran across the mountain wall to a dead-end waterfall. Only one way up and down. It was a decent two-mile hike up the path. While midway up the switchbacks, our dog starts panicking. We look up, and on the last switchback, there is a guy in full snowsuit gear watching us. Full face mask and yellow goggles. It was barely October and not that cold at all. He starts walking towards the falls and we lose sight of him. Husband and I are kind of creeped out, but figured it was someone hiking to the falls as well. Made it to the falls. No one was there. We never saw this guy again. He disappeared into thin air. There was no way he got down, no other trail. I have a hundred or so unexplainable stories about one of the most haunted cemeteries Bachelors Grove outside Chicago. I've had some in your face encounters. Also seen the ghost house that disappears many times. Experience the white dog as well. It is true no matter how had the wind blows it never blows inside the cemetery gates. We used to smoke pot in that cemetery but the spirits liked me and my group of friends because we were respectful. They would mess with us playfully. There was one night they did not want us in the cemetery. They definitely let us know it. The spirits were very serious on the night. A rock hound which usually leads us deep into the boonies. We were in the Utah West Desert right outside of Wendover. It was a dirt road but not that far off the beaten path. Only a mile or two from the gas station and freeway exit. We were headed to a spot we have been to several times. We like it because it's far enough away to be an adventure but not too far from SLC anyways there are several dirt roads that branch off this main path. We passed one of those paths and saw a bunch of stuff in the path so we slowed down out of curiosity and to be safe in case there was something on our path too. As we got closer we saw there were dozens of dead jackrabbits. They looked like they were arranged in lines not like tossed in a heap. After we realized what they were we just kept on going and kept our head on a swivel the rest of the day. I don't know what's up that path but I'm not going to find out. That was the first and only time to see that on our trips to that specific spot. We have probably been out there close to a dozen times by now but we always stick to the correct path. Nothing good comes from taking random dirt roads in the west desert. Usually you just get lost, been there done that, but sometimes you will find crazy people who don't want to be bothered. This story took place in Louisiana back in the 1940s from the back seat of a car while looking out the window. I was about 8 years old, and I was sitting in the back seat of the car while looking out the window. My father was a doctor and whenever there was an automobile accident, he always stopped to render aid. This was in the 1940s. There were only two-lane highways, so collisions were fairly common. The car might have been stopped for that reason, at the time, or we were driving very slowly, but I looked out my window on the left side, and on the shoulder of the highway in the opposite lane, was a tiny horse-drawn wagon with a tiny driver. The horse was about 8 inches from nose to tail as I looked down on it, and the driver was in proportion. The wagon was kind of a dingy red, farm-type wagon. At the time I did not think the sighting was miraculous or even odd, and I didn't say anything to my parents, but all I remember is that I wanted to take the tiny beings home to play with. Although I remember it vividly, I gave it little thought for years, but in later life, I started reading about elementals and fairy beings and realized I'd had an actual sighting. I have had no sightings since. They seemed unaware of me or anything but what they were doing, which was a fairy man driving a horse drawn wagon, the wagon and horse about the size that could fit in an apple carton. If seen what did the fairy or fairies look like? I saw a tiny, 8-inch, horse drawn wagon being driven by a tiny man. The wagon, horse, and man all looked like real living beings, in perfect proportion. The wagon was a dingy red, the horse brown but I don't remember anything specific about the driver. I heard no sounds. It was on a highway in Louisiana, and no one talked about fairies. I don't remember even having heard about fairies at the time. I was about 8 years old. Why do you think your experience was a fairy experience, as opposed to a ghost or an alien or an angel or some other type of anomalous experience? I was a child, wide awake at the time, and I knew nothing about ghosts or aliens and little about angels. I now believe that, fairies, exist and are basically soul-like beings that vibrate at a range of frequencies that humans can't see unless certain circumstances allow it. I never read fiction or non-fiction stories about fairy beings until many years later, when I was around 30 years old, and I started reading about elementals and other fairy beings in a book entitled The Secret Teachings of All Ages by Manly P. Hall. Since then, I have researched more. The memory of my fairy sighting is still vivid, after over 70 years. My wife and I have had the same mattress since we have been married. It is lumpy, dips horribly in the middle, and isn't large enough now that our daughter sleeps on it with us. I know, that's dangerous and not recommended at all. But when you go 6 straight months without more than an hour of sleep at a time you eventually cave in. With that being said I am always on the lookout for a good deal on a king size mattress and yesterday I found one. $125 for a new set, and not a cheap one either. Incredible, right? I thought so too so I called the guy up and asked if it was still available, you know how sometimes they advertise something really cheap because it doesn't exist. To my surprise it was so I set up for my wife and daughter to go out and take a look at 5 p.m. I would have rather just gone myself instead of dragging my cranky daughter all the way into downtown but my wife is pretty particular about the firmness of the mattress so I had to make sure it was comfortable for her. Brian, the guy selling the mattress, said to call when we were on our way so he would know when to meet us at the storage site. I called but it went to voicemail so I left one and also texted him to let him know we are on our way. The whole drive there my wife and I are chatting happily about how great it will be to finally have a new mattress and have our own space in the bed once again. My daughter likes to sleep at a bit of a diagonal so that her hands are touching mommy's shoulder and her feet are touching my leg. It is very sweet and cute but also incredibly uncomfortable because I have to sleep on the knife's edge of the bed in order to not crush anyone. Dads out there I am sure you can relate. Fortunately the traffic isn't too bad yet so we make it right on time. I hate being late to appointments. It is just so unprofessional and inconsiderate, you know? I get out of the car and unstrap my daughter so that she can enjoy the cool breeze and point to all the new things she sees while we wait for Brian to arrive. After about 15 minutes I walk into the office of the storage facility and ask to see if Brian maybe works there or if the receptionist knows anything about him. She told me that he works for a home staging company for when people try to sell their homes. That is why we can buy the mattress so cheap. It is unpackaged and set up so they can't resell it in a store. She assured me he was a great guy and was probably just running late due to traffic. I was glad I talked to her because I was still having a few doubts about why the mattress was such a good deal but his line of work made a lot of sense. My daughter and I walked around some more singing songs and feeling the brick wall of the building and the nylon threads of the American flag swaying in the breeze. She is a very happy, sweet girl and loves to feel new things so I didn't notice how much time had passed until my wife popped out of the car and asked what was going on. 40 minutes had passed. This guy was ridiculously late. I handed off my daughter so that I could call him up and see what the deal was. This is Brian. Yay, hi. This is Steven. We had a 5 p.m. meeting to look at a mattress. Where are you at, bud? Oh yay okay I am 30 minutes away, I'll be there soon. Now as you know I hate being late. I also hate when others are late. Seriously? It is 5.35 p.m. and we agreed to 5 p.m., Brian. Don't bother, we are leaving. I told you to call me when you were leaving so that I knew you were coming. This is the first time you are calling me so now I am coming. What? Look, Brian. I called you when we left our house and I left you a voicemail. I texted you to let you know we were on the highway. We agreed to 5 PM and you stood us up. I dragged my daughter and wife out here for no reason and now we have to fight traffic to get back home. Thank you for wasting our time. I hung up before he could get another word in. I was furious who sets a time to meet, but then doesn't show up until the person calls. Clearly this guy wasn't a real businessman. He called me right back, but I ignored it. We needed dinner and showers, we had routines to follow or this baby was going to be up all night. He texted me right after trying to justify his reasoning, telling me I was foolish for not wanting to wait around to save so much money on a $1,000 mattress. Obviously this guy didn't have kids. I added his number to my spam list so that I wouldn't get any more calls or texts from him and apologize to my wife for wasting our evening. I work two jobs to make enough for the bills and we don't have much time together as a family. I feel like a bit of a failure but my wife always reassures me, thanking me for working so hard. Still. I can't shake the sadness I feel when I come home late and barely get to spend any time with them so I was extra frustrated with Brian for wasting one of my only free evenings. Of course traffic was awful heading back out of downtown and there were two car accidents because why not add insult to injury? My daughter was starting to get fussy so I was singing all her favorite songs and making silly faces to keep her occupied. It took over an hour to get home but once we hit the driveway everything was forgotten and we all smiled. Home at last. We went through our normal routine of dinner and bath time and instead of turning on the television I just played with my daughter until she was ready for bed. It was a nice change of pace. I can't believe how big she is getting. The alarm went off far too early for my liking but I got up and did my best to crawl out of the dip in the bed without arousing anyone else. Got dressed, packed a lunch, ate a quick breakfast and I was off to work. The day was pretty uneventful which was nice because I couldn't keep my eyes open easily. Normally I get a few calls from my wife during the day and at least one picture showing our daughter doing something silly or new but I didn't get any of that today. I knew they had a few plans to go to the petting zoo in story time at the library so I didn't think much of it although I did miss my daily picture. Wednesday is always a special day because at food pantry day, at first we were just embarrassed but we try to make the best of it by guessing what dessert they will give us. The generosity of people in our area is so amazing. They donate all organic foods, even organic meat. I usually make it home before my wife is done at the pantry so I tidy up the house and get ready to go out and grab all of the bags full of food. I kicked off my work boots and put my lunch bag away, cleaning up a few dishes in the sink and washing down my daughter's high chair tray. As I headed into the bedroom to change into more comfortable clothes I stopped dead in my tracks. There, in place of our small, lumpy bed was the king-sized mattress on a simple bed frame. It even had sheets on it, nice ones. A few tears gathered at eye because I realized why my wife never called me today. She was busy surprising me with a new bed. She must have found Brian's ad on Craigslist and went up to meet him on her own while I was at work. What a wonderful woman she is. On the bed was a small, white card. I rushed over to it, flopping onto the bed and taking the card in my hand to read. Dear Stephen, I hope you like the mattress. Don't worry about payment, I already took what I needed. Brian, what the hell? I sprang up off of the bed and went to my phone, calling my wife. No answer. No problem, she is probably wrapping up at the food pantry or driving home. She never answers when she is driving. I waited 15 more minutes before calling again. She is never this late from coming home. 4.15 at the latest and it was already 4.30. I called again, straight to voicemail. I tried not to panic tried to let my imagination run wild but I couldn't help it. Was she in an accident? Is she stuck in traffic? Please answer. After another 20 minutes and no response from her I drove over to the food pantry and found the managing volunteer just before they closed up for the night. Hey Terry, was my wife here today? Oh, hi Stephen. no she never came today. I was a bit surprised myself but I thought maybe you finally found a better job and didn't need to come anymore. I drove home much faster than the law or safety would dictate praying that her car would be in the driveway, but it wasn't. I tried calling one more time with no luck. Sprinting around the house I searched for anything strange or missing. That is when I noticed the picture frame on our nightstand. The picture was torn down one side, leaving just me. Tears started flowing down my face, coating my phone as I dialed 911. Just a quick update or answer of various questions from the comments. First, thank you all for your concern. The local police and I are doing everything we can to try and locate my family. I will let you know as soon as I hear anything positive or negative regarding the case. Secondly, I understand that Craigslist can be shady. I have dealt many times with buying and selling without ever having an issue for many years. Please understand I am in a difficult financial position right now which is why I even looked around for a mattress on Craigslist. We go to a food pantry every week, so yes times are tough. I can only do what I can do. So far we are unsure of how Brian found our home or got in. There was no signs of a forced entry and no record of anyone calling or texting my wife or her calling or texting anyone over the course of the day outside of actual contacts saved to her phone. She received no emails either. Our neighbors did not notice a moving truck or anything similar come by during the day but obviously something had to have come by. Still no idea about that either. Update 2. The police have put out my wife and daughter's picture to try and get the word out. I went up to the storage facility to try and talk to the receptionist but it was a new woman today. She looked up storage units owned by a Brian and there was not a single unit. Can you believe that? Over 1,400 units and not a single Brian. I mean, it's a common name. I feel like something is getting covered up so I'm coming back later to snoop around on my own. I also unblocked the number and tried to call but all I get is a disconnected number message. The police are trying to track it to a house or business but they aren't telling me much, which worries me more than anything else. Oh and since so many have mentioned my family being in the mattress, the police took the mattress as evidence. They checked it inside and out for clues. They are not inside it. Part 2. So like I said in my first post I unblocked Brian's number and tried to get in touch with him again but it said it was disconnected. Of course I gave the number to the police to try and track but I have yet to hear any news from them, which is incredibly discouraging. They say you only have 48 hours to find a missing person and I am approaching that number very quickly. I can't. I just can't lose my family. My wife is the sweetest, most loving and wonderful mother to our beautiful, vibrant daughter. I remember when she was born and, sorry. I have been thinking a lot about that night. I guess it is the only thing pushing me on. I have to find my family. One of the comments mentioned checking my car for a tracking device. Don't know why I didn't think of it before so I went out last night before I went to work and after a few minutes of checking I did find something under the rear bumper, on my exhaust pipe. I don't know if it is a tracking device or what, but I turned it in to the police on my way to work. Why didn't they think to check my car? Anyway, I didn't really feel like working much. I was distracted and exhausted. My boss told me to take a few nights off, paid, to clear my head. I couldn't believe it, not because it is out of the ordinary, but he is just a hard ass most of the time I didn't think he had a soft spot on him. I took full advantage of it by heading back up to the storage site to see if I could find anything. Like I mentioned in my first post I worked two jobs, one being warehouse stocking overnight and during the day I worked for a home security company called Vivin Installing and Servicing Home Systems. One of the neat things we offer is a camera that you can access from anywhere in the world and watch a live stream. Most people use it as a nanny cam or to see what their pets do while they are gone but I had a great idea. I'd set one up on the roof and then I could watch it from my work laptop to see if anyone is moving mattresses around. If I could get a visual on the guy we could catch him. So I headed up to the site and climbed up the backside of one of the buildings that had the humidity controlled units. According to the receptionist they only have 24 of these units and since they are selling a ton of mattresses I figured that is a unit they would need to have. There were cameras all over the place so I couldn't get a perfect angle or see the whole row of units but I was able to place it in such a way that I could see about 2 thirds of them. Not ideal but better than nothing. The camera is tiny so I wasn't worried about anyone finding it and I know it can run for over 6 months on a fresh battery. Since I don't have anywhere to sleep at home I decided I'd just recline the seat in my car and try to snooze a little while keeping an eye on the footage. Now I know a lot of you are probably thinking there is no way Brian is ever coming back to that place. And while I agree with you, what else can I do? I have to have hope, to believe they are still alive and unhurt. It is the only thing keeping me going. I am sure you can understand that. I must have actually fallen asleep because a train horn startled me and I jerked up, knocking the laptop off of my lap. The train was moving pretty slowly, even slower than most around here and there was a van and a few cars waiting at the crossing. It took a moment to remember where I was and rub the sleep out of my eyes. It was 3 AM. I rewound the footage in triple speed to see if anyone had shown up during the hour and a half that I was laying there and only 20 minutes before a 15 passenger van showed up just inside the frame of the camera. It was hard to tell but I am pretty sure it was the receptionist that was there the day we came to buy the mattress. Two guys were hauling mattresses out of the back of the van and into one of the units. I started to get excited. I had him. I found him. Then I got sick to my stomach. From inside of the unit came five women, most of them older but one was pretty young. I couldn't see their faces because of the distance from the camera but I could see that they were chained together and gagged with something. One of the guys gave something to the receptionist lady, most likely money, and they piled into the van and drove off. Wait, I thought, didn't I just see a van? I looked up and the train was gone, The cars that were waiting now far off in the distance. I turned on my car and took off after the fading taillights, praying I'd be able to catch up and hope they hadn't already turned off somewhere. I grabbed my phone and called the police, telling them everything that transpired and where I was or direction I was heading. They told me to pull over and to stop following but screw that, I floored it even more and tried to close the distance. Pretty soon I heard sirens from several different directions but I had lost sight of the van, or maybe never had sight of it. When I finally caught up to the taillights I was chasing they belonged to a Corolla or something. About that time my phone went off. It was the police, they had found the van. I drove my way over, only a few blocks east of where I was, hoping for good news. When I got there they had two men in cuffs in the back of a squad car which left soon after. Five women were laying on gurneys being tended to by medical staff, but none were my wife or daughter. I was relieved, happy, thankful that they were safe, but also devastated. Where was my family? After interrogation or whatever of the men and the women that were saved it was determined that they would have been sold as slaves, human trafficking. The police are still looking for my family, of course, but they aren't acting very positive about the whole thing. I just left my day job because my boss caught me still watching footage of the unit and told me to just go home. I know it sounds stupid but what else can I do? I can't eat or sleep or even think without feeling the need to vomit. My family, slaves. Sold to some freak that will do god knows what to them? My 11 month old daughter. So beautiful, so innocent. Daddy is going to find you. Update. So far, no one has come back to that unit other than police. I watched them drag everything out, sick to my stomach. I watched their cars drive off full of evidence. Everyone seems to have vanished that was connected to this aside from the two guys that were arrested. They haven't given up any information from what the station is telling me. I don't know why but I started to browse Craigslist again to see if any new ads were put up similar to the one I had responded to. I didn't find anything but I did remember a few stories I'd heard about the deep web or dark web and how human trafficking goes down on those sites. I dove head first into that awful area of cyberspace trying to find anything that could help me find my family. The things I found only made me that much sicker and more worried about my family. Who could do such things to fellow human beings? I know we are in a sick, confused world but oh. I will just stop there. I don't want to upset anyone by the things I saw. After an hour of searching I was about to give up when I found something hosted by BMK. I had seen it before and passed it by but looking at it again jogged my memory. The only reason it stood out to me at all is because of the Craiglist ad. Brian had called himself the mattress king. It is a pretty standard claim, to be fair, but I didn't think I could pass up an opportunity even if it wasn't him. I responded to it with an old email I hadn't used since probably high school and got a response almost immediately $5,000 cash for a female, $4,000 for a male, discounts for age, an address to meet at, and a time. When I plugged the address in I was surprised to see how close it was to the storage facility. One of your comments was right, they kept operations close. Obviously I don't have the cash but I have a gun. What Midwesterner doesn't? I am on my way right now. I don't want to be late. Final update. So as I said I like being early and I figured my old pal Brian would be late to this arrangement. I got there an hour ahead of time to scope out the place and find a good spot to take him out. I found a nice loft where I could overlook the big, open factory floor. I parked my car a ways away at a thrift store parking lot and walked to it with a guitar case, hiding my 22. I guess they would probably have a few people out front waiting for me to come in and Brian inside with the lineup of women. Fortunately I guessed correctly. A total of 6 armed people showed up, 4 taking positions somewhere outside. Brian and the receptionist stood inside with 20 women. My heart skipped a beat when I saw my wife among them. I almost cried out right then and there but I stifled it in time. I took careful aim and busted Brian's knee with the first shot. I'm assuming he went into shock because he dropped and laid there moaning for the entirety of my visit. My next shot took out the receptionist as she ran. The girls started screaming right away, obviously not knowing what was going on. A guy from outside came in but I was already back outside on my way down. I have never been happier than right then about my granddad forcing me to go hunting every year and earn my dinner. It was paying off. It was then that I called the police. I waited until sirens were nearing before I shot the next two guards in the leg. Suffer for your sins. I made my way inside and used one of the guard's handguns to finish Brian and the other guy with him after I let him see my face. I don't think my wife even noticed me until I put my hand on her face. I'm not sure where the last one ran off to but he didn't bother us as I unlocked the women and hugged my wife. Where's my baby? Is she okay? She just shook her head. We cried, oblivious to the police filtering in. It was about 2 am driving around aimlessly as I always did after work, night shift, to try and relax before heading home. I was going through the town next over because of the twisty roads I always enjoyed going down for the thrill. This time however, I had a weird mental note to myself about using my high beams for once as I never do so I listened to my gut feeling and turned them on before the road began twisting. Right as the first bend came up there was a deer almost entirely split in half trying to walk across the road. I mean this poor thing it may be only a few strands of muscle or intestinal organs holding its back legs and front legs together. It could be a coyote that attacked the deer but the way this thing was so badly injured I just figured someone hit it except there was no other drivers on the road behind me or in front of me for about 20 minutes.